Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. We all want to grow up. Some of us are on a path, others, they have not even figured out who they want to be when they grow up. And I guess that's, that's the journey that we are all are on. Um, now, I ask you a question. How would you feel about being strong? assertive, maybe smart, sexy, independent? Would that, be, would that be sort of features that you would like to, to live up to and say, wow, that is cool? Well, that is the acronym uh, or mnemonic, SESI. And I've got exactly the woman to introduce you to because she is working on that to actually become that. And she is helping other women to do exactly that. I've got sassy coach, Christine Malik. Christine, welcome to my show. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate that. And, <laughs> and if I could give a, a big woohoo, because <laughs> you did that beautifully. That's the sassy in me coming out. <laughs> good, good. And that's so important, isn't it? Because it is. life, life is... Life has a way of interfering with our best laid plans. And often enough, these plans are mediocre to start off with because we never know who we want to be. And then life happens. And then for most of us, it's life is becoming this treadmill that we're on. And it's just, you know, like a hamster wheel. And the hamster keeps busy and we never actually stop to think. But in some lives, things happen. And not so nice things happen. And that happened to me. And that's the reason that I've got nowadays a show and actually speak out because I've seen the darkness very intimately and you are the same. So guys, a lot of trigger warnings here. This is, uh, Christine has gone through hell and back. Like, uh, without doubt, I can say that. And uh, therefore, just be aware, guys, uh, if you be aware of your emotions and if you need to stop this interview, then please do so. Call for help. Call, call your GP, call police, call maybe a crisis helpline in your country. I think that is really, really important. Um, if we can achieve that, that you seek help, then this would be so wonderful. So this is uh, this is this would be an honor for me. And I send all the energy out to the listeners and viewers today. But back to you, Christine. How the hell all right. does one become a sassy coach? <laughs> well, I think to put it very bluntly, I went through hell and back, <laughs> not just once, probably several times, many times. Um, it, how did I become here? Oh, it's a long, it was a long, hard road. What did Sassy's you want to be? I mean, Sassy is beautiful what you're doing now because you're you're using everything that you've learned in your life. But but when you started up, when you were 16, when you were you know, a younger woman, who did you want to be? I wanted to be a child psychologist. Oh, wow. And then I wanted to... <laughs> yes. And then at some point, I wanted to be an attorney. I've always had to help the underdog, to help the 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 smaller person the person that couldn't afford you know the big high-end attorney that but still needed that help but the children the same way animals and children are probably my two biggest causes and of course now abused women um because those two have always been they didn't they didn't ask to be where they are 
And when they're abused and hurt, they need us to take care of them. And those are those are my two biggest causes. Oh, yeah, beautiful. it was it was not a it was not an easy road. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely us. went off the path, and I and I ended up when when I graduated high school, I ended up going to school for hotel restaurant management. I thought I thought I was going to work Vegas, baby. Mm. <laughs> With at least right there's, to... there's guaranteed money there. There's you know you probably can can make a living. So there's nothing wrong with with thinking on your own basic needs and thinking, okay, let's actually get myself financially more or less stable. And then I can always, always do those things that, that my heart yearns for. Right. Right. And how did it end up? <laughs> Nowhere near there. <laughs> mm. um, so I had a, a, the first marriage was 22 years. Um, it was a good marriage. I got three, I have three beautiful children, two granddaughters, the um the marriage just kind of went south we kind of went on different paths we were both okay those were my drug addiction days um that was back in the 80s when i met him it was shortly after um i came back from switzerland i actually the year i graduated i went to switzerland worked in a restaurant over there had a blast an absolute blast did not want to come home. <laughs> then they're like, my parents were like, oh no, you're already enrolled and ready for college. You need to come home. Um, a few years later, maybe two years later is when I met my first husband. Ended up <laughs> in a wedding dress at seven months pregnant. Um, I had no plans of getting married. Obviously did not want to get married. Had no idea where my life was going. I was in college for hotel restaurant management. Here I am, you know, pregnant. My mother's forcing me into a marriage. Um, the marriage was, it was, it was fine. It, it was, it, it was good. Um, there was no abuse there whatsoever. We have three children, two granddaughters. It just, it was a marriage that went awry and we had kicked the cocaine together, obviously when, so yes. <laughs> okay. So, so when I met him and, and was dating him and of course married to him, I was doing cocaine while I was pregnant. Um, there's going to be a lot of people out there that that is going to hit a chord with. And believe me, I have gone through and, and I know all the, the effects. That that son, my eldest one, I, I, I thank the Lord because he turned out, well, he's good now. <laughs> but he is also a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. My second daughter doing cocaine by, while being pregnant with her. Um, she ended up in the hospital. She had, um, basically, she could not keep any food down. Her, her um, muscle down there, and I forget what the name of it is, would not close. So she lost, when she was nine months old, she lost three pounds. And if any moms out there listening, they know that is significant. Um, by the time the third child came along, our cocaine habit was full-blown. Like we were doing eight balls a night. It was it was full blown. When I had my third child, the youngest one, he um, the doctor actually came in. He was crowning. The doctor came in. It, it was a blessing, but we didn't know it. At, I didn't know it at the time. 
But my OBGYN basically came in and said, Christine, I understand we have a drug problem. And my reaction was, because I, you know, you get to a point where you know you need help. And my action re- was, yes, because I'm pushing. <laughs> this child is coming. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't I'm, try that at home, kids. Okay, don't try exactly, that at home. <laughs> exactly. But the downside of that, I knew I needed to say yes, but the downside was they took him away from me. I could not hold him. I could not bond with him um, until it was forced, without a doubt, in a very stern way that I could not have that moment with him till I signed papers stating that I would get sober and that I would go into some sort of program. I was mad. I was young. He came along when I was 26, um, 20, 20, 25. And I was still young, dumb, stupid. All we knew was, you know, getting high every night. Although I did make sure, I, and I've told, I will continue to tell my kids every day that I need to, that I was a lousy mom, without a doubt. But I always made sure you guys were clothed, fed, taken care of, and always had a roof over your head. I at least made sure that as much as I did, and I we waited till they were done. I mean, I still bathed them. I took them to school. I, I mean, I did all those good mom things. I just happened to be a cokehead, <laughs> a really big one. Um, and the cocaine got bad. I mean, you know how it is. You, you can't get enough in your body. So we went from snorting it to smoking it. And my then husband, he started shooting it. And that's kind of where I drew the line. And I said, I am not shooting cocaine. So. They took him away. I had um, about a day that I could not bond with him. Obviously, I couldn't breastfeed. There's too much. Now, two days before he delivered was actually my last time using the cocaine. So I was clean, but not completely. Um, it, it was a good couple of days till I think a, a full 18 hours till maybe even longer till I could actually hold him. Um, he is now probably my biggest advocate he is the the other two (laughs) teased that he's mama's boy um so that thing that you know I, i i tend to disagree with that philosophy of that you don't bond with your children if you can't bond with them from the very first because i didn't have that and we have a very close but i'm actually close with all three of my kids um they're good kids they're they're my eldest one was the only one that had any type of drug or alcohol problem. Um, then I, of course, after that, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just, there's so many things go from my mind from, from your feeling guilty and still trying to do your best to, to all that. I, I recognize myself in many things that you say for me, it was alcohol for you. It was the cocaine. Uh, one question though, um, where was the money coming from? because cocaine was never so cheap um so how did you manage my my husband actually did fairly he worked for my father i mean that's how we met um <laughs> I, yes <laughs> that's a stefan that is a story in itself i came home from college one day my father was having a christmas party basically told my husband before he was my husband, took his car keys away and said, you, you're not getting your car keys till you agree to take my daughter on a date. Little did he know I had already had 
a boyfriend <laughs> in in the state that I was in and a boyfriend in the state that I was attending college. I I did not have a main problem. <laughs> okay. That was a story in itself. And just to correct you, cocaine was it is not my only addiction. I have addictions. Uh, up and down, out the wazoo, honey. I mean, if it's, I used to go to my AA meetings and say, hi, my name is Christine. I'm an ick because I'm an addict, drug addict, coke addict, alcoholic, sexaholic, workaholic. I mean, if it's got an ick at the end of it, I've got it. <laughs> simple. I, oh, I like that. I like right? that. I like that. Ooh. It covers every gambit of, well, I was, I was not a, a gambling addict. That was the only thing. I, I, I just could never get into that. Yeah. Chocoholic? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still an addict. Nowadays, I'm proud of it because I'm addicted to life. I'm addicted yes. to living a life so fully that yesterday becomes jealous of today. So there are some addictions that are still cool, okay? So let's get that right. And only because you're an addict, uh, that is not negative, not necessarily a negative thing. So well, let's come to that. And if we don't come to it today, then, then yeah, that is a TED talk I'm working on because there is so much more out there um, that we addicts can do apart from feeling guilty and feeling ashamed and all those kind of things. Right. Uh, here you are. So you're living life to the fullest. Uh, luckily, money was there. You Did you get any run-ins with the police? Okay, so that was how we started <laughs> your question. So my husband had, had a really good job. But you know when you go through, um, and I had to first go through NA before I went through AA, and this was back in the 80s, so of course, Back then, we had to figure out what our our monthly, yearly use was of cocaine. And he went through a program at the same time that I did. Now, I actually came, my parents were living in Florida when my third child was born. So my mom came up and grabbed up me and the kids. Now, my kids are the newborn. My daughter is 13 months older than him, and my eldest son is four years older than the middle child, my daughter. So here my mom is taking on three brand new babies, picking us up. My husband takes his, his, his um, you know, getting clean and getting sober, his sobriety up in Pennsylvania. I'm taking mine down in Florida. So we, of course, going through, we have to figure out how much money we spent and we each came up with about $50,000 each to support our habit each, which means we were spending a hundred thousand dollars a year on our cocaine. Now, did we make that much money back in the eighties? Not that much. Okay. <laughs> Not that much. Okay. Um, theft. Yes. I stole money without a doubt. Um, I got lucky that um, the person that I stole it from basically said, clean out your desk, you're fired. I'm not pressing charges, but you need to get out of here. Did we do other things? <sighs> yes. Um, was sex involved? Yes. Was um, other favors involved? Yes. I mean, when you're an addict, especially with cocaine, and you need to get that high which needs to be more cocaine to gain the same amount of high 
you you do anything. I mean, it's like it's like anybody that's addicted to heroin or meth. You, you do whatever it takes to get that high. Anything. Um, at one point, um, I had I had collected <clears throat> a collection of music boxes that my dad had got for me from the time I was like seven or eight years old. Um, from all over the world, everywhere that he would travel, he would find a music box. And I had probably about 20 of them that I had accumulated through the years. I also had a, my dad had bought me for my 16th birthday, I'm sorry, 18th birthday. No, it was my 16th. Anyway, he had bought me a, um, and we grew up in Pennsylvania, this was up in Pennsylvania, he had bought me a silver fox fur coat. Like it needed to be in in the summertime. It needed to go into cold storage. It was true fur. It was real fur. We don't we don't do fur now, but I also had a um I forget what year it was. I love that car. It was a red two-door BMW. Just a little sportster kind of car. Um I had because my husband's sister worked at a jewelry store he got a really good discount on a it was a one and a half carat ceylon sapphire that was my engagement diamond ring and, and wedding ring so the dealer basically my husband came to me and basically said i have to take this i said what do you mean you have to take this well we owe the dealer i said what do you mean we owe the dealer Joe, you can't. Oh, I shouldn't have said his name. Anyway, I said, I said, you can't take. What am I supposed to drive? What am I supposed to do? I mean, my car went, my fur coat went, my collection of all those music boxes went. My ring, I I lost my wedding ring and diamond ring, and it was like I said, it was a sapphire. It was a Ceylon sapphire. They're somewhat rare, not extremely rare, but gone, gone. All those material things gone. Do I regret that today? Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest because I realized that those were just things. What I gained was my life. And through all those things that had happened, even back in the 80s in my cocaine days, and we haven't even touched on my alcohol days yet, um, what I realized was that, the, yes, there there are music boxes that that I miss and that were probably one of a kind from all over the world that maybe someday I'll find, maybe I won't. But what I had was my life and my three children. I still had them. They weren't taken away from me. I told you that, you know, I wasn't able to see my son, my my last one. And he, I had for the first, know, like six or eight weeks, I had DCF coming in every single day, checking me, checking him. Um, those were the first eight weeks. And then it went down to three times a week for like four or six weeks. And then it went down to once a week. And then it was once a month. So I had somebody coming in and checking on me to make sure that he was fine and that I wasn't doing you know, what I, was, what I wasn't supposed to. So no police. We got, uh, although hindsight being 2020, that might have helped. It, putting my ass in jail might have helped. Putting his ass in jail might have helped. He's been in fights. He was in um, numerous, you know, places that he shouldn't have been. 
um, got out with his life, came home like an hour after I ex- expected him, bloody cut. Um, I mean, he's been through his his shit with doing things. He left one night, one of his friends came over and um, said, hey, can you get us, can you get me, um, you know, a couple of rocks? He called, my husband called the dealer. The dealer said, yep, not a problem. So my husband left me and his friend alone in our apartment. When my husband came back, I was in the bedroom and the friend left immediately. And when my husband came in, I was sobbing and crying and and didn't want him to touch me, didn't want him anywhere near me. The next morning when I looked, Steph and I had bruises that went from the knees up because this man attacked and raped me. Do I, do I, maybe now you can understand why I wish I would have been arrested because I wouldn't have have had to endure the rape. And when I say it, it was, it was nasty. It was nasty. There was no way because I was under the influence of the cocaine at the time. I couldn't fight him. I couldn't fight him off. Yes, he was bigger. Yes, he was stronger. He pinned me down on the floor. He had so much pressure in his hands to open my legs that they bruised. And I'm not kidding when I tell you from the knees up, from the knee up, my whole inside legs were bruised. These are the situations that drugs and alcohol will put you in. They put me in it. I was lucky just to never end up in such a situation. But that was Sheila. I could have very much ended up in in similar things because sooner or later you lose control and you don't just have a drink or whatever drug you're taking just to feel good. No, you need more and more and more. And most of us can't stop when we're in the height of our addiction. So you're not alone you are you're worse off because you're a girl uh you're you're therefore it is an easy target um i'm a big burly bloke so even when i was drunk people were probably thinking twice about taking me on so again there were things that protected me but it was certainly not my intelligent behavior <laughs> that prevented things i think it was just sheer fucking luck man so man uh so that was that yeah your cocaine years that was well what would i say seven years seven until 25 yeah it was about five years five to seven years in there that uh, like i said the the, uh, i was pregnant when i when i met my husband is when we started it was shortly after that i got pregnant i was we got married at set you know when i was seven months pregnant and then of course four years later, the second child. And then of course, 13 months later, the third child. Okay. And I, I actually, because of the cocaine, I ended up cheating on my husband. I had, Oh my gosh. I, wow. You're triggering some things here, Stefan. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is, that is just, uh, that is just the way we roll in the sense of yes. um, same with you. You were, you were suddenly putting me back in, in, in my mind into situations where I, I'm far, far from proud of, um, but it is, it is what it is. So, 
how did the cheating end up? I, I ended up cheating on my husband with the dealer. I mean, it was it was one of those he kept sending me over to the dealer to go pick up. I guess, you know, who's going to what cop's going to pull over a pretty blonde. Um, and it just the next day, the next day, the next day. I mean, I would stay a little longer, stay a little longer here, do a line, you know, here, have a hit. Um, when my husband found out about it and I don't even know how he found out, but God's intervention. <laughs> um, not only did he, and I forgot about this. He did beat the shit out of me. I ended up having a miscarriage, did not know about it. So it was between the first child and my second child. He also beat the shit out of the dealer, um, which was a different dealer than the one I had to give all my shit to, um, which is why he found a second dealer because he couldn't go to this dealer anymore. Um, it was, yeah, I forgot about that. I'm sorry to hear that. It's all in the past. I can't change that, which is why I talk about it. Hmm. Because we need to, we need to, we need to be sassy about it. We need to be strong. We need to say, you know what? That's what happened. I have no regrets. Everybody asks me to, you know, and like I said, we still even even begun to get to the abuse part. Okay, hmm. um, you know, do you have any regrets? Because you know, with the with the abuse on the second husband, I, I you know had the black eyes and the the um, you know bruises all over my body, the forced sex. Um, he cracked my, actually broke my wrist and cracked three of my ribs with a rubber mallet and a gunshot wound to the head. Oh, and numerous amounts of hair pulled out of my head. So I've been through all the physical, the mental, the 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 psychological the verbal he was extremely psychopathic and narcissistic but you don't know this when you marry him but anyway my point being that if i don't talk about this who because our generation we were taught to put that stuff under the carpet we don't talk about that we don't my brother was an alcoholic before he even was a teenager he didn't know it was just something that his body craved he would fill up a a cup of you know, a quarter of orange juice, the rest of it was dad's vodka from the bar and take that to school because he thought he knew his body was craving that alcohol. So, you know, I, I don't mind talking about this because if it, if it helps somebody understand what they're going to go, it's hard getting sober, getting sober from the, the cocaine is hard, getting sober from the alcohol is hard, but ain't it fucking worth it? I mean, that's, that's the whole plan that's the whole idea that we can finally think clear that we can figure out what our life path is figure out what our journey is and take those lessons that we learned being drunks and alcoholics and coke addicts and heroin addicts and meth addicts and every other ick possible take those lessons and go okay so how and isn't that our 12th step how do i help that next person you know, to, to understand what, what you're going to go through. It's not easy. It's not easy, but aren't I living proof? Aren't you living proof? I mean, look at this beautiful smile. Look at that beautiful, you know, I'm healthy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm loving life. I love where my life is right now. It's not perfect, but there is no such thing as perfect. You know, what was the, 
the cocaine giving you when you go back to you being a younger girl um you were going into hospitality and that was the 80s so high pressure environment and everyone was was uh, certainly using all the help they could get i.e drinking was normal um cocaine certainly in the restaurant industry in certain parts in the world was normal um what did it actually do to you what did it give you probably the self-confidence and the the um validation that i didn't have in my childhood um there's a lot of trauma there was a lot of molestation that happened in my life very early on there was a lot of rapes that happened in my teenage years um there there was oh yeah well, <laughs> honey i got stories like you wouldn't believe and they're all true i say stories but i i have had one hell of a life and i do not regret any part of it i really don't i mean there have been some definitely some way lows and way highs but um so the cocaine gave me that strength that what i was looking for that i now find in my sassy it, it gave me the courage it gave me the the chutzpah it gave me the 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 wherewithal to be able to say i am sexy mm -hmm. even though i didn't feel it inside because of all the shit that i went through in, in previous years um it you. gave me yeah yeah i hear you because that's the typical uh, thing isn't it it is this is, we are looking at at alcoholics and at drug addicts and you say ah oh, look how can you be so low well what people don't realize is that the alternative of not using is so much more painful at that moment for the addict it is we are we are trying to escape our reality we are trying to escape our pain um and you, we we have learned that wow if i use that drug that behavior that whatever it is suddenly i get those different feelings those different feelings that i have not been able to get in any other way and unfortunately we we alcoholics and, and we drug addicts we are often <coughs> we have superpowers and the superpowers come from this super response of dopamine the dopamine rush that we get is just so much stronger uh, the first time, second time around when we use a substance <laughs> or do a certain behavior. So therefore it is, it is our dopamine is just amazing. And therefore I can still remember that first feeling of intense well-being and being on the top of the world. And that was, <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And that's beautiful when essentially, especially for those people who have maybe not the greatest of all lives. And again, let's let's not measure and compare. This is no pissing contest. Hey, my trauma was bigger than yours. Uh, no, um, we all have our traumas. We all have yes. our moments that that have changed us forever. They often happen very early in life and they don't have to be sexual molestation. They can be just a way that, that your mom or your dad talked to you and it left forever a core belief that you're a waste of time, that you're hopeless, that you're worth nothing. And this is sort of the, the, the kind of crap that we tell ourselves and that we truly believe that we truly believe we are we are worthless and we are just pieces of shit that's typically the the kind of 
point you come to all the hormones of teenager years then come on top of that and you're be you're, you're trying to find yourself and that often ends up in <laughs> chaos uh and then suddenly a drug comes along or alcohol comes along and suddenly all that chaos that hurts the pain no longer no longer matter so let's 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 speak that out and maybe those of you who are who are at the moment dealing with a loved one who is in the midst of addiction that is the reality for that person that person is trying to escape reality and his own reality that is full of pain so getting him sober getting him to stop whatever is at the moment harming him and and maybe you as as the the relative um there's only to start need to deal with all the shit that comes out now under leaves there and that is that's exactly why i take my hat off to christine christine is here saying yeah okay i've done this i've done that i've done that and uh, none of these things you are proud of yet oh hell no <laughs> yet they have they they have forced you down a path that you came to a point where you were actually so out of outside of your comfort zone that you simply had to change what was that moment or what were those moments often enough it's a series of events that lead to that what changed it it, it was it was the day that i was sitting on the toilet backwards the seat was down the second husband, the very abusive one, um, huge fight. I don't even know what I did. Didn't matter what I did. Anything could have set him off. Um, the yelling, the screaming, the accusations, all common daily. And I was sitting on the toilet and I can remember having my hands down on the tank and my head was down and I was trying so hard to keep my sobbing and crying to a minimum. I had closed the bedroom door, the pocket door for the toilet and the bathroom was, was open, it was hidden. And he's screaming and yelling in the, in the living room and he comes in and it's pounding on the door, pounding. And I'm, oh, I'm like, please stop crying. Just stop crying. Stop crying. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. If you don't stop crying, it's going to get worse. And he stopped. And I thought, okay, maybe he's going to finally do the right thing. Just walk out of the house. Go take a few minutes. What I didn't realize was he went to the garage and grabbed a sledgehammer. Came back to the bedroom door and broke that door. He busted in through the bedroom door with the sledgehammer. And I, oh my God, I, I was, please don't let him use this on me. And actually, there are moments where I'm saying, please use it on me. End my fucking life because it's a mess. And I'm listening and I'm trying to still not cry and not sob and not be weak and I hear him open the drawer on the nightstand and 
I heard the cock of the gun. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm sobbing and crying and I still have my hands down and my head's down. And the next thing I hear, and he was probably yelling something and screaming something at that point. I, I tuned him out. Um, I feel the gun on my head and it's just there and it's heavy and it's my gun. It was my fucking gun. It was a gun that my son had bought me to protect myself in my, my, my single days, 40 caliber, not a little 22. It's a big gun and it's on my head and he's screaming at me and I'm screaming back at him. Pull the fucking trigger, you pussy. Pull the fucking trigger. I dare you. Pull the, and I'm screaming at him. Pull the fucking trigger. You motherfucker, you don't have the fucking nerves. By this time, I'm just welling with anger and fear and, and, and every other emotion that could possibly go through. I wanted him to pull the trigger. It was more so for me than for him. I didn't care what happened to him. I didn't care at that point that it was my house, that there were two dogs in the house, that I had three children, only one granddaughter at that time. I didn't care. Just end my fucking life because this is no way to live. I can't deal with it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I've, I I'm at, I've reached my limit. I'm just done. And I'm screaming at him and I'm taunting him. And I know I am. I'm doing it on purpose. Pull the fucking trigger, dude. Do it. Grow a pair already. Do it. And he did. And in that moment, two thoughts went through my head. And they were, oh, fuck, he pulled the trigger. Like he finally got the balls enough to pull the trigger. And then, of course, the second immediate thought was, oh, fuck, he pulled the trigger and I'm not dead. I'm still here. I still have to deal with this bullshit. And this happened in 2015. I was married to the man until I kicked him out was in 2018. So I still lived with the abuse for three more years. And, of course, you know, I... There's no love there. There's no, you know, are you, oh my God, are you hurt? You know, I could smell the, my hair burning. I could feel the blood trickling from my head. Um, you know, getting smacked in the head with the side of the gun, the butt of the gun. Um, I could see the- Let's be know, quite clear. Uh, 40, I mean, for those of you guys out there who are not, not used to, to calibers or not used to shooting, um, a 40 aimed properly at your head there is not much of your head left from that range so he was obviously luckily so out of it that he only grazed you uh, otherwise you would there was no way that you're you're he sitting here okay exactly. exactly exactly so you were grazed but it was still uh, he fired a gun at you um so that is still attempted murder where i come from oh yes so oh, yes. so hang on uh it, 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 with the how the hell what happened thereafter well as i'm sitting there with those two thoughts going through my head and, and you know seeing the hole and it was probably a quarter size hole in my wall 
that I then found out after the fact that not only did it go through that wall, it also went through the adjourning. Of course. That's how powerful this of course. is. Yeah. It went through three walls. And of course, I'm getting slapped up the head. See what you made me do? You know, this cussing, the screaming, the yelling. And as I'm sitting there and I'm going, <laughs> now the third thought came in and into my, my brain. Because I heard him put the gun back and then there's a case for the gun and there's plenty of shells. And now here's my third thought. Either I take this gun now and commit murder myself or I take this gun and I do what he couldn't and put it to my head and pull the trigger. Because at that point, the abuse... And the alcoholism. I mean, it, the, it, the abuse exasperated it like crazy. I mean, I was drinking almost 24-7. And I was holding down a full-time job. He wasn't. I provided for the family. So I sat there on the toilet and I, I weighed my options. Um, and I sat there forever. I, I don't even think I slept that night. I slept in the other bedroom. I didn't even, I wasn't, you know, there were many times that it was get your ass in that fucking bed. Now um, I had to sleep with him. Um, that night I, I slept in the bedroom and, I, and I, it was that night that, and throughout the night that I was, I, I had reached my moment. That was my moment. That's when I said, I can't do this anymore. I, I've always been <clears throat> a sassy woman. And it came from 20 years earlier when my daughter was in Girl Scouts. That's where the sassy came from. It was strong, sort of smart and independent for the girls that I was a treat bleeder for. So as I'm laying in bed and I'm contemplating everything and wondering, where is my life going? This, this is not what I envisioned my life. How did I end up with this man? How did, did I become so rose-colored glasses and fogged and susceptible to all this this fairy tale how did this woman that my children look up to and emulate their lives after I taught my children to be very strong independent kids how did I end up here okay well I never I've, I'm never one to dwell in the past so the next thoughts were, how the fuck do I get out of this? This is my house we live in. He is married to me. We live in my house. He's nowhere on the mortgage, on the deed. He's not. But I know his personality. I know that this is not going to be easy. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was then, that, and I didn't have anybody because I was brought up in that era that everything gets swept under the carpet. I didn't have a friend that I, I did, but I didn't know it at the time. I thought I didn't have a friend that I could talk to. You certainly didn't pick up, um, you know, the phone and, and you know, call the, the local police. That just wasn't something we did. Um, I, I, I did it alone. And I, and that's one of the things with my coaching practices that, and when I speak and when I go on podcasts and when I talk to other women that this is why I do this, because we don't have to be alone. We have, there are people out there that experience this abuse and the addictions 
And the addictions came because of the abuse. I mean, obviously I had all my addictions beforehand and then I get into this abusive situation and now my addictions are full blown. Uh, I mean, full blown, Um, you know, drinking almost 24 seven. The the day that I was beat, the night that I was beat with the rubber mallet, I was expected this happened at, you know, two 12, one, two o'clock in the morning. And I was expected to be able to get up and go fishing the next day in the river down in Florida, which I did. I went to work two more days after that, finally decided that, okay, I better go to the doctor. And he takes the x-ray and says, oh yeah, that's fully. Now I got to come up an excuse as to why my wrist is broke. Okay, why my ribs are cracked because I can't tell any, well, my husband beat me, (laughs) you know, with a rubber by the way wasn't just any old mallet it was a rubber mallet that was the closest thing that he could find to beat my fucking ass because he was pissed at me for something he did so it was at that moment after that gunshot wound that I said I, I can't do this anymore I have to figure it out and I didn't have the answers I, I did not have the answers but I knew I had to do something what I started to do was little by little, I found positive quotes. I found things that could help me throughout the day that would give me the, to light that I had that little bit of willpower left inside of me, that little bit of fire that was smoldering inside that wasn't completely stepped on, wasn't completely crushed, that, that those quotes, because they, they were silent he didn't see them. He didn't know about them. He didn't need to know about them. He didn't know what I was doing throughout the day or when I was, you know, getting, you know, on my way to work. Um, you know, I, I, those were the things that kept me going and kept that fire going till I could figure out what to do in the meantime. Now, little did I know that, like I said, this happened in 2015. I ended up in the hospital in 2016. Even though I this little fire was was smoldering and burning inside of me, it still took time mm. to get him out of the house. And of course, the abuse still happened. The alcoholism really, because that was the the easiest way he drank. He was an alcoholic. That was the easiest way to numb the pain. the The physical pain, plus the mental pain, the the psychological pain physical pain, my wound on my head is healed. Okay. My wrist is healed. Um, you know, the, the physical, I have no longer have black eyes. Okay. I don't have bruises all over my body. The physicals pains and abuse heal, but it's those psychological and the, the verbal and the mental, the ones he gave me and the ones I gave myself that took a long time to heal. So when I, when that happened, that's when I discovered the quotes and that's when I realized, and like I said, it was, I ended up in the hospital. I, 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 it was, it was a Saturday afternoon. Fishing sucked. We came home. We were home by noon. It was decent day. He was drunk. I was drunk because, you know, you can't go fishing with this man unless you're drunk. That's how bad it was. That's how bad it got. And when I say, when I say like, I would take a the little pint bottle, fill it from the gallon jug and take that. Okay. And while he's setting up fishing stuff to get ready, 
before the sun comes up, okay, where was I? Okay, taking sips out of this thing because that was the only way to deal with him anymore because I had been through so much hell with him for the last three years. I had to numb the pain somehow. What else was I supposed to do? I had no way to get this man out of my house. And if I pushed the pushed the envelope to get out, what 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 would happen? I'd get a fucking beating again. I couldn't do that. I knew I had. Where were your parents? Where were your parents at that time? Were you guys so separated? Because as 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 a dad, I sense such shit from a mile away. So how did that go? I'm so glad you asked because one of those signs that you know that he's an abuser, okay? If your friend exhibits these signs, it's it's control, okay? He controls everything. He he took over very now, when he first met my father, when we were first dating, oh, he was Prince fucking Charming. Of course. Yeah. Prince Charming, okay? Dad was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, but he tolerated it, okay? But little by little and over time, uh. now I had met this man in 2012, uh. okay? The abuse didn't start immediately. So, but little of little bit over time, you know, you, you know how when you come home from a bad day of work and and you kind of de-stress a little bit, and you say, honey, you'll never believe what happened today at work. Okay. So um, I did not know that when I was going home and saying, Oh my God, my dad did this today, because I worked for somewhat worked for my father. Okay. So when I was saying dad uh, did this or dad, right, everything that was a bad experience he turned around and used against me of course. okay if i told if i told him a secret or told i mean it could have been the of slightest course. little thing right like i love chocolate ice cream honey well then it turned into well you can't get this you can't have your chocolate ice cream until you it, everything was turned around oh, and used against me the classic right. narcissist so, the classic yes, manipulator yes. Yes, yes. So he controlled everything. He controlled who my friends were. And little by little, I lost contact with my friends. It would be things like, I don't think she's good for you, honey. You know, my children, my children were, you know, honey, maybe we shouldn't have the kids over tonight. You know, we're going to get drunk. We don't want them to see that. Those kinds of little things. Okay. Um, It would be, um, you know, the, the, you know, with, with, in fact, what happened with my father, the, the culmination was I came home one night and actually I texted him and I think we were married at the point at that point. And I was texting him saying, oh, my God, my dad. Did. Now, my dad, I love my dad dearly. OK, but my father is the second biggest narcissist I have met in my life. My my ex-husband being the first. So it was before I realized what was going on that I texted but my then husband, the abusive one, and was texting him, oh my God, my dad did this again. I mean, just, you know, going off. Well, I didn't realize that he would then, of course, he's texting me back, honey, I got this. I got us, you know, pumping me up and getting me all excited. And it had culminated, you know, over weeks and months that my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad, that, you know, I was bitching about him. And, um, you know, finally, it was th- this was this was his opportunity to finally sweep in, yes. okay, oh, <laughs> and say and say, "Honey, it's okay. I've got us. I've got this. You can quit your job. I'll take care of us." 
blah 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 and i believed every fucking word okay and that was his opportunity to then throw my father under the bus and you can't you know everything possible to put my father in the bad light i lost touch with my family i lost touch with my children i lost touch with my friends i became completely isolated from the outside world other than where i was working and even because i quit that job Okay, I ended up having to get another job. And even that one, he ended up showing up at work at that second job. I mean, it was more than my second, but that next job, um, he ended up showing up and it was a a, um, auto mechanic place. So he kind of fit in, he, you know, schmoozed the guys, bought them drinks, you know, Oh, complete narcissist, right? (laughs) So he managed to get in with that one, okay? So, I mean, he controlled everything, everything except the finances. And that was was only because he didn't know how. And that was when a a lot of those, the, the rubber mallet came about because he, his, one of his other addictions was gambling. He played the lottery. I mean, like, incessantly played the lottery every single night played the lottery and that night that's exactly what it was that he accused me of taking five hundred dollars of our money and putting it somewhere i wish i had okay but i didn't but yes that so to answer your question my parents it wasn't because of me it was because of what he had done and what i had allowed without knowing that I had isolate, let him isolate me from from my family. Wow. <laughs> what happened in 2018 that then changed? I ended up in the hospital in 2016. I went through because the alcoholism, well, I had always said that I knew my alcohol abuse was getting way out of hand and I can't tell you how many times I would have said I I had said okay God either put me in the ground put me in the hospital those were my only options at that point those were my only options ground or hospital and my higher power said okay you asked we don't want you we don't want you in the ground because you've had your near-death experiences you've had many of i had a motorcycle accident that should have killed me um obviously dealing with this man the gunshot wound i mean he could have very easily killed me i attempted suicide three times with this man i attempted suicide at the age of 16 okay yes (laughs) the higher power definitely has has better and bigger plans for me so he said okay you asked, we're putting you in the hospital. And um, a week, a- okay, so I started to tell you that it was one of those the, those Saturday afternoons that we started drinking early. Um, we got home about noonish, and everything was actually fine. Now, this is where I will definitely tell you that my higher power kicked in. I have, I could, I can't tell you to this day. I could not, I cannot tell you why I did this. I picked up my cell phone and I called the non-emergency number for my local police department. And I, it was one of those. As I said, it was a good day. They were far and few, very far and few between. But it was a good day. Well, it was decent. So. I picked up and I, I asked 
you know, 911 emergency, how can I help you? No, I actually want to speak to non-emergency. Is there somebody that I can talk to? Well, what is in this in regards to me? Well, I, I'm in an abusive situation. I just want to know who can I talk to about getting out? Because I at that point, I, I was out of options. I needed to do something. So I get a detective on the phone and he said, this is detective so-and-so. And I said, oh, okay, how can I help you, ma'am? I said, well, I just want phone numbers. I don't know where to turn. I don't know how to find a phone numbers or somebody that I could talk to about having my husband leave the house. I'm in an abusive. Are you okay right now? He heard the word abusive and immediately went into cop mode, you know, detective cop mode. And I said, yes, actually, I'm fine. You know, now I'm in the bedroom trying to keep quiet and not wake my husband who had passed out on the sofa because we were drinking all night long and then drinking in the morning. And I said, yes, I'm fine. You know, everything's okay. And um, he, he said, okay. I said, I just, I, I've been like five, six, seven, eight times. And I just want a phone number. Can you give me, dude, can you give me a fucking phone number already, right? Well, here comes my higher power, okay? So my higher power wakes his ass up. And all I hear is, who are you fucking talking to? I'm like, I'm talking to the kids, honey. All right. You know, I'm like, oh shit. Now I'm on the phone with this detective. The detective Good. hears. Good. Right? Good. <laughs> right. So, you know, a few moments goes by. I'm trying to, you know, he's asking, the detective is asking me questions. Well, doesn't the asshole, you know, start yelling again? I'm like, I'm like, sir, I'm really okay. I have to go. I'll call you back at this number, right? Excellent. So, all right. So he's screaming, you know, from the sofa. Excellent. I'm telling, you know, I, obviously my my fear is coming to the surface. I'm sure the detective heard it. He comes, you know, hung up with the phone. Who are you talking to? I'm just talking to the kids, honey, my kids. And, oh, all right. Well, I heard you. You've been on the phone for a long time. Sorry, you know, let me get you a drink. I hated doing that, but let me let me pass your ass out again, you know, so that you don't hit me, you know. Next thing I know, oh, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> there's two, two cops there. Now, I, I turn white. I'm like, oh shit, this is not gonna go well. There's two cops at the door. I am gonna get such a beating, if not dead, from this. That, that's immediately what's going through my head. So they haul his ass away. You know, he's like, he's you know, still half drunk. I'm, I'm like, I'm actually to the point now. You got to remember, I did fall in love with this man. Okay, that there were some good qualities about him till till those narcissistic, psychopathic, abusive SOB qualities came out. There was a part of him that I thought I loved. So, of course, I'm screaming at the not screaming, but I'm telling the cops, listen, it's a good day. He didn't hit me today. I'm okay. There was no abuse today. There's no reason for you to be hauling his ass away. They took him away anyway. Now, you asked me how, where my turning point was, and, and I'm getting there. So, and of course, this is from 2016, 17, the gunshot wound. Anyway, so how I ended up in the hospital and we're getting there. So 
he gets hauled away. I'm like, oh my God, now my kids who one of them happened to live maybe three blocks away. He happens to come by, turns around, stops. Mom, are you okay? That's it was his immediate mom, are you okay? Next thing I know, my second son is there. These are my boys. These are my boys that I taught. Okay. No matter what. Okay. You never hit a woman. You respect a woman. There's no reason for it ever, ever, ever. These are my boys coming to make sure mama's okay. Okay. And they, they stayed that night. They changed all the locks on the doors. Okay. They just went into total protect mom mode. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I know. I love them for that. They so did. So Fast forward a few days, I end up getting sick. Now he's he's got the the ex has got the protection order. He cannot come, you know, within a thousand feet, within a thousand yard, whatever it is, he cannot come over. If he needs to come get, you know, toiletries, clothes, he's got to have a police officer. I have to leave the house. He's, you know, we cannot be anywhere near each other. Okay. So I get sick, like fever, chills diarrhea, vomiting, can't keep anything down. I'm dehydrated. Now remember, I had I had said to my angels and my, my guardian angels that put me in the ground or put me in the hospital. <laughs> and here comes put me in the hospital. So I'm sick and it's like seven, eight days that I, I'm just not getting better. I'm thinking it's the flu. At one point, I, I think I had a bowl of cereal that didn't stay down. You know how bad milk is coming up, okay? I mean, it was nasty. So about a week goes by and my youngest one, you know, always checking up on mom. This, this is the one that even though I didn't have that moment of bonding with him, here he is every single day checking on mom. Okay, so don't tell me there's no bond there, all right? So he finally comes over, and I think it was like a Friday or Saturday, and he's like, Mom, if you're not better by, because he had things already planned for the weekend, he said, he said, Mom, if you're not better by Monday night when I get off work, I am taking you to the hospital. I was like, I'm not arguing. I mean, I'm going from, you know, this is Florida. So I'm going from, you know, blankets and sweatpants and everything else to, oh my gosh, I'm hot. I got this fever. I mean, it, the fever probably spiked at 104. It was that bad. And I'm thinking flu the whole time. So um, Monday comes, he stops by after work and he says, mom, are you feeling any better? And I said, I said I'm not, I, bleh, you know, I'm still going through everything. All right, get in the car. Okay. So I wrap up in my blanket, my hoodie and blanket and coat and whatever else I could, you know, and halfway through the, it wasn't a long ride halfway through. I'm taking everything off. Cause now I got the, the, the sweats are going. You know? I mean, it was full blown. I thought full blown flu. Okay. So we get in there and, and, and he's, you know, helping me walk in and I'm like, I'm fine, Nate, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And you get to triage and the nurse says, okay, have a seat. And she puts the, the blood pressure cuff on my right arm and, you know, it's, it's pumping up and I'm looking at my son, he's standing and I'm sitting in the chair and you I could see the worry on his face, you know, and, you know, you can hear the hiss come out and next thing I know, she's putting the, um, the blood pressure cuff on my left arm. I'm looking at my son and I'm looking at her and she's not saying anything. Mm. And she pumps it up, pumps it up and we're waiting and she's, you know, doing the thing, looking at her wrist and, 
you know, everything else. And she said, Christine, let's take you back to a bed. I'm like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, blood like, pressure okay. is just above room temperature. Yeah. <laughs> try, try like 70 over 50. Exactly. Okay? Like, like she's, 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 I, I actually looked at her. This is my sense of humor. Okay. My son was right there. And I looked at her. And I said, so what you're telling me is I should be dead. Right. <laughs> and she's now she's almost white. Okay. I get put on. The, they're taking it a third time to verify that my blood pressure is that low. I said, so I should not be coherent. I should not be talking to you. And she's like, no, you know, I don't know what to do. No. So the doctor comes in. You know, I'm trying to explain to him where I have this this pain in my lower area. I mean, that that sacral chakra way down low. It is as low as you can get in a female region. Okay, and the doctors come in and he's you know poking and prodding and everything else. Well, you know, Dad looks at all the stats. They're drawing blood left and right. You know, my son's like, Mom, I'm going outside for a cigarette. <laughs> go. I know you don't want to see any of this. Go. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't have to, you know. So and now what he did, obviously, was to call his brother and sister and let them know, hey, Mom's pretty sick. She's in the hospital. I don't even have a clue what's going on at this point. Okay. So the, the next thing I know, there is this real now. The ex is out of the picture somewhat. You know, I know I can't have any contact with him. All I'm focusing on right now is that I'm in a hospital room. I am sick as a dog. And in walks this gorgeous man. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> okay. I'm still young at heart. Okay. And all I could think was, holy shit, he's gorgeous. <laughs> okay. Christine, hi, my name is so-and-so. Didn't tell me he was doctor, didn't tell me anything, okay? And I'm like, oh, he's coming around this side of the bed. Okay, have at it. Now, when you've had three children, okay, one of them was cesarean. I've been through all the shit that I've been through, okay? There is no, <laughs> there's, there's no, you know, squeamishness left anymore. I mean, I have no problem, you know, showing anybody anything if it makes me better, okay? Not that I'm, I'm, you know, an exhibitionist, but you know where I'm, what I'm saying, right? So, so he's like, you know, feeling around. He said, I just want to, you know, do you mind? And I don't know if you can help, go for it, you know? And all I could think is, God damn, oh, and you smell good too. <laughs> so, so he's feeling around and he's, you know, looking at the charts and everything else. And, you know, he, he says, okay, so my name is so-and-so and I'm a surgeon here. I'm like, oh, okay. I just thought you wanted to feel my body, doc. Mm. And that's my humor. I have no problem saying stuff like that. And and I I was just totally, because at this point in my life, I don't give a shit anymore, okay? So he tells me he's a surgeon. He says, what I'd like to do is I'd like to do exploratory surgery on you and see what's going on down there. I was like, okay. Um, if I was your, oh, if I was your wife, if I was your daughter, you know, and he's got a grin, he's chuckling, he can sense my humor. And I said, if I was your mother, what, you know, cause he's young, he's probably, oh, mid to late thirties, you know, and I'm, I'm in my early fifties. Okay. When all this is happening. So, um, I said, if I was your, you know, your wife, you, cause I couldn't see a ring. I didn't know if there was one there or not. Oh, <laughs> right, even right? instinctively you're choosing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Sex addict. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Sometimes it just comes out, you know? 
So um, he says, oh, yeah, if you were my, my wife, my daughter, my mother, yes, I would do, I would do exploratory surgery. Mm-hmm. So we do the exploratory surgery. He, you know, I get out, I come, you know, to, and he comes over and he says, Christine, I, I, I really think we need to open you up. I said, what do you mean open me up? He said, I need to get in there. Something is, I cannot see anything. I don't think it's ovarian cancer. That was why he wanted to do the exploratory because he, because it was so low, he thought that maybe it was ovarian cancer. So I can't find anything, you know. I said, okay, I'm going to ask you the same question, Doc. If I was your wife, your daughter, or your mother, what would you do? I'd open you up. I said, open me up. I, I got nothing to lose at this point in my life. I've got nothing to lose, okay. Here's this man that, you know, has beat the shit out of me, you know, every way possible, inside and out. I got nothing to lose. I've been through all this other crap in my life. I've already said to my higher power, either put me in the ground or put me in the hospital. I'm here in the hospital. Do what you got to do. So when that second surgery happened and I did not find out till after the fact, and of course he scheduled it immediately for the very next morning. Remember it was on a Monday night. My son took me to the hospital Tuesday morning. I'm getting prepped for surgery. And I'd already had the exploratory surgery that night. So I'm getting prepped for surgery and I didn't find out till afterwards that um, I died on the table twice, not once, but twice on that second surgery. So when I say I meant to do that, you know, <laughs> my higher power put me in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. So T, what happened was when he went in and he opened me up. And that was one hell of an experience. I ended up when I did come to, and I had no recollection of dying on the table. Okay. I did have my spiritual moment, but it wasn't till a year later. Um, it basically when, when the doc came in, well, when I came to in the, um, the recovery room before you go to your regular room. Okay. I was so freaked out. I didn't know what I ripped the tube out of my throat. I mean, just ripped it out. And as I'm ripping this out, the nurses are, they're not even around. And all of a sudden they catch me trying to get this thing out of my throat. Okay. They're trying to stop me. I'm fighting them. Like, no, get this fucking thing out of my throat. Right. So I finally, you know, come to well enough and Doc, the handsome guy, comes in and his words to me were, and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, Christine, if you take another drink, you will die. Mm -hmm. And he stayed silent. And I thought, and I kind of looked at him and I said, so-and-so, because by this time I already knew him by his first name. We had kind of had that rapport. I said, you know what? That's a theory I don't want to test. I said, so he basically told me what happened. So when he opened me up, he took out my gallbladder, my appendix, part of my colon, part of my intestine, and my whole left fallopian tube. Mm-hmm. Now, the infection that was raging through my body, and they still to this day have no idea where this infection came from. Well, I know where it came from. It came from me asking my higher power to put my ass in the yeah. hospital. <laughs> So um, I'm sorry if you're drinking like a fish um, that you're sucking <laughs> yourself, you're destroying your immune system, you're destroying yes. every single bloody organ. And exactly. it's no surprise that that even uh, otherwise uh, relatively innocent bucks can gain 
gain the stronger hand and can kill you. So that yeah. is exactly what is happening uh, to an immune compromised patient uh, in the extreme version like AIDS, that's an immune compromised. Well, an alcoholic is in, in, in full throw is not much different. So now I had uh, full blown cirrhosis of the rip, full, full blown. And he told me that's which is why he said, if you take mm -hmm. another drink, you will die. Full blown cirrhosis of the liver. I currently now have two pieces of metal. I have a stent in my liver that I, I was actually told that if I wanted to have any of my life, a normal life back, that I would have to have a liver transplant. I said, F you, not happening, not doing it. I will find a way to heal my body. And I did. I, I did. I, I changed my diet. I changed my, and of course, I still had to go through hell with getting rid of the husband. The judge, you know, didn't award me any money. Here I am on disability because I spent almost a year in and out of the hospital. Yeah. I had the surgery for the stent, which is a, they go in through your jugular. Okay. Mm. To put that metal down in your liver. Mm. That's a tricky um, you know, more so than, than, you know, the 70 some staples that I had in my body. <laughs> okay. So yep. uh, yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I've always said, Stefan, with my drinking is that we'd have to be really naive and stupid if we don't think and know that all this drinking has got to be doing something to our body. We don't see it, mm. but we know it's there. Mm. We know it's there. But here I am today. You know, I mean, I'm healthy. I just turned 57 years old. I love what I do. I love teaching sassy. I love igniting the fire in people. I love being able to help people. That's what I do. And I've talked your ear off. I'm sorry. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. You have got such a powerful story. And I think it is really, really important to, to tell this story. Because only by being transparent, by being by showing humility, and by by opening up, can we show the darkness that we have gone through, and therefore make it clear to others that they are not alone in their darkness. When I was in in my deep drinking days, I thought I'm the only one. I there is no one who possibly could could feel as much pain, who possibly could 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 be in the situation that I am. I was full of shame, full of guilt. And all that kept me very isolated. And these were a lot of lies that my depression and my, my alcoholism told me. And that is why I have cut this show, because I'd want others to know that these are freaking lies that your body, your mind is telling you. You have no clue. I mean, if I tell you that one in three people are chemically dependent, chem uh, I have got a chemical addiction, that is a hell of a lot of people. People that you look up to, that people you think, wow, they got really their shit together. Tell you what, they're freaking alcoholics. They're freaking addicts, okay? They just by, by some fluke have not yet fallen so far down onto their face that they are ready to make a change. They are probably still in the, in the either denial phase, which is 95% of alcoholics. 95% will tell you, hand on heart, there's nothing wrong with my drinking. Joe down there, I look at him. Now he's an alcoholic. I'm me? No, I'm a social drinker. I'm just very social, you know? Bullshit, bullshit. So those are the, the realities. 
So once you can cut through that bullshit of, of denial and, and really look into the mirror and, and figure out, actually, man, what you're doing is just suicide in installments. You're basically slowly dying. Um, and even then, even then, you feel powerless because you think you're alone. You're isolated. You think, oh, my God, if I now tell someone, God, I'm a doctor. My God, what will happen to my career? As if no one knew that I'm drinking for crying out loud. You can reek it. I'm reeking probably of it. You know, it's all that. My goodness. But it is, that's the reason that, that Christine and I are here, that we are nowadays um, spending our time here sharing where we have been. More importantly, these, our, our addictions are part of us, but they haven't defined us. We are nowadays, I have got a woman there who is sassy, okay? And I actually like that sassy, the more I think about it. But somehow we need to we need to come up with a male <laughs> male version of it. Hey, I'm sassy. <laughs> I think that gets that gets misunderstood. <laughs> so come up with something something male for me, I'll please. Work, I'll work I'll work on it for you, Stephen. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm great at acronyms. So there, there you go. There you go. No, I think I think the reality is uh, I'm so grateful that you shared all those details from your from your history because it is it is those transparent and and humble moments that hopefully will allow someone else to to pick up the phone to make that one step that so most difficult yet with hindsight so easy step to actually just call someone and there's someone should be someone that that maybe can do something um, a good friend, maybe, okay, but how about your GP? How about your family physician? Um, and if you haven't got one, maybe get one and and actually have an, an honest word. We've, I've got Walk a good church. Hey? <coughs> Walk into a church, find a priest, find a nun, find Touché. somebody, Touché. you know, a, a teacher, a guidance counselor, you know, somebody from, I mean, we're a police station. Hmm. Anybody that of authority that that you know is supposed to help, right. have them help. All right. And exactly. And there is, and none of that costs you a thing. Even if you are down and out, have no money, just open up and say, look, I'm I'm ready to I need help, please. The moment you say those magic words, things will start changing and it will be an amazing journey. It will be a painful journey, but my educated guess is that there's so much pain heaped into your life right now that that the pain of recovery is minor compared with the pain that you're going through right now in your soul, maybe even in your body. Okay, so please, guys, seek. No, before you seek, understand that you are not alone. And please believe me that there's help out there. And once you accept these two things, then you can actually go out there and just knock on the door of someone. And it will be, you will be amazed. Please, you will be amazed. 
one thing though is we see it often enough. I've had so many women who had who were on my show or that I spoke to privately who were going through sexual abuse, uh, domestic abuse, and there is sometimes the first reactions that come back from someone is, "No, I don't believe you." Um, those kind of things. If you hear something like that, now that can't be, then you know that this person in his or her own mind is struggling with things and it's just you their their own world is is crumbling down so they are not in a position to help you so don't take it too 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 hard and it's so hard to say for christ's sake finally you're opening up after months and years of abuse and hurt and then someone says no i don't believe you that's that's brutal don't give up at that moment seek another voice seek another help see go to seek someone who actually believes you and that is then when your journey starts is that fair to say christine absolutely absolutely i i can i can attest to that because i went to my mom and told her what my grandfather had done and she said those exact words that can't be true you're lying mm. Exactly. And it wasn't until after she passed that I, I realized she probably was abused also. We mm. don't understand. <laughs> right? Right. Right. So don't take it to heart. Don't take it personal. And I did. It hurt. But find somebody that you can talk to. That's one of the things that I teach, you know, the women that come to me is that find somebody. Don't give up. And, and if you see somebody suffering we have to have that communication. We have to open those lines of communication. We have to, the biggest hint or, or tip that I tell people is get them in a car, take them for a car ride. They're a captive audience. They cannot leave you. So if you're driving that car, even if it's just driving around, you're saying, dude, you know, Mary, there's a problem. We're not getting out of this vehicle until we talk it out. And be there, just listen. But they they can't get out, so they can't go anywhere. Because you know, you know, the the typical answer is no, I'm fine, because we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to break. But they can't get out of the car, right? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's exactly that's exactly the way, isn't it? <laughs> don't give up. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Christine, you're an amazing woman. Um, oh, Christine Malik. I mean, yeah, wow. You have gone through hell and kept going. And I'm so humbled that did you actually and honored that you came onto my my show. Well, um it is if if people listen to you and think, wow, she's got her shit together today. And and look, look, she's using humor and 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 actually is so brutally honest. Wow, I would love to do that. I would love to go on a journey like that. If people want to connect with you, how can they do that? They, they can go to my website. Um, it's sassycoach.com. Um, the easiest place right now and the best place to find me is on Facebook. And that's, of course, facebook.com forward slash. My business page is Sassy Coach Christine. There's a calendar link there. There's posts there. There's, um, you know, everything possible, re any way possible to reach out to me. I, I try to make I try to make myself available to anybody and everybody that needs it. I will find a way around no matter what time zone, mm. where we're at. I've, I've talked to, 
I talked to a woman in Nigeria a few months back and she was on the, it was just through messenger, but she was on the verge of ending her life. And I talked to her about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. And I said, how are you doing? She said, mom, she calls me mom. Okay. I love it. She said, mom, I got a job. I said, oh my gosh, that's awesome. But because of just listening to her and helping Mm. and, and the posts that I put on Facebook Mm. and those words of encouragement and the things that I, cause I am dead honest. My, my, my honesty is I tell people, I will be honest with you, brutally honest, probably, but you're going to, you're going to, you're going to love me for it. And that's that she, I said, do you still, she said, I, I, I get up every morning, just waiting to see what your post is to see what you put out there today. I was like, okay, that's all I need to hear. I know I've helped one person and that's all it takes is just to help one person. She's a member, a working member of society. She's providing for her children. She's feeling good. She's got her sassy back. Not a hundred percent, not where I'm at, but you know, one day at a time. Isn't that what we're taught? One day at a time. Wow. Facebook, sassy coach, Christine or sassycoach.com. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video <laughs> and of the podcast because it's all there. Um, whilst you're down there, please press the subscribe and the like button. Uh, maybe leave a comment uh, on on the show. And uh, it's just go out there and live your life to the fullest. And I hope we've today we've rattled your cage and we've 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 given you the insights to allow you to take action. Because it's the taking action, small but consistent steps are in the direct, right direction that change your life forever. And Christine and I are on that path. We just so happen to be a bit further down the path than you are at the moment. That is not to say that in a few years' time, you're not in a similar position as we are, trying to make this world a bit of a better place one interview, one book at a time. So who knows? God, come along on the journey. That's all I can can invite you all out there for. It's a beautiful journey. Uh, it's a journey where from now and then you fall down and scrape your knees. And from now and then, yeah, it's not so nice. And from now and then it's bloody hard. Um, but it's a beautiful journey because I'm, I'm continuously growing. And with every day, with every interview here, I'm growing. Christine, um, helped me dust off a few memories that I was probably that I was would have been quite nice to forget but they are back and now therefore I've got the privilege to reevaluate them and deal with them and maybe learn new lessons from them because everything is there to teach you a lesson so I'm I'm incredibly grateful to you Christine for for spending the time with me thank you so much Thank you, Stefan. I am too. Thank you. And you guys out there, look after yourself and live with passion. Uh...